The sermon text this morning is John chapter 1, verses 6 through 13. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You know, Christmas is one of those, um, it's a holiday that everybody thinks of as, you know, celebration, joy, happiness, excitement. I mean, it's one of those we all look forward to because people are just, they feel a bit happier. And it's really marked by this sense of celebration. Uh, It might surprise you to know that actually uh, darkness is a major theme of Christmas. Uh, This idea of darkness over the land. It's not ironic that we celebrate Christmas in December. December is actually the darkest month of the year. It contains the darkest day of the year, December 21. The least amount of light is shown. And, you know, it's also... Um, it's also curious to recognize that Christmas is one of the hardest holidays for people. Uh, it's one of the most difficult holidays because it seems that Christmas, it accentuates our lack of relationships, our struggle with marriages or families or work or life. It, it, it's, a, it's a very, it, it seems to highlight what we don't have what we want to have, what we've tried to have, but we can't seem to grasp it. It's a very, very difficult, difficult season for people. Oh, we try to cover, no doubt. We go to the parties, and they're full of cheer, and everybody's excited and happy. We look forward to maybe the present that we're going to get that's going to be a little bit better, and it's going to make our life a little bit easier, or maybe the relationship that we'll have in the next year. But it doesn't take long for many Christmases to pass. Uh, too many New Year's resolutions to pass where you realize it, that, that, that disappointment grows. There's just there's a, a darkness. What, what do we need in this time of darkness? Well, we need the light. We need light is what we need. And the glory of Advent is that Jesus comes as a light. Now, we're going through John 1 this month. And John 1 is this unique introduction of Jesus to the world. We saw last week how he came as the word, the saving word, the creative word. He came as the eternal word. Today, we're going to see him come as the light, but the true light. But, you know, when light comes in, it is in conflict with darkness. And we see that here. The light comes in, it's in conflict with darkness. So I want to answer two questions. Uh, One question is, how does God reveal himself to us? How does God reveal the light to us? How does he reveal himself to us that we might change? And then secondly, uh, how do we respond to it? How do people generally respond to what God reveals? So first, how does God reveal himself to us? Look with me at 6-8. You see that he reveals himself first with a forerunner. Uh, with one who comes before. Look at me at 6 to 8. He says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. 
He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. So we're introduced to John. This isn't John the Apostle who wrote this letter, but he's John the Baptist. Uh, John's name simply means God is gracious. And we really do see that in his ministry. Because God is sending John first to prepare people to be ready that God is now invading our world with his son. So John's been given a goal. He's been given a purpose. He says that he has been sent. Now, I want you to understand the significance of his ministry because he says there was a man sent by God. So God has sent him. This isn't John thinking, hey, we need moral reformation for our country. Hey, we need some moral crusade to get us back on track. No, God, it was God's intention. It was God's plan. God sent John. So, so John is on a mission from God himself to prepare for this Messiah. You notice, though, that he's sent as a witness. A witness. Now, you all know what a witness is. A witness gets in a courtroom scene. He sits in the box and he begins to declare, this is what I saw. This is what I heard. This is what I experienced. A witness is trying to establish truth. A witness is trying to establish a truth that you can live by. And so John is coming and he's declaring to us, this is what I saw. This is what I heard. This is what I know uh, about this Jesus Christ, that he has come as the Messiah. So John is coming with a voice. You're going to see him in a couple of weeks, particularly from verses 19 all the way to, to 28. We'll learn more about John as a witness. But, but he's coming. Notice the purpose, though. The purpose is that you and I might believe. You know, this purpose is the same as the Gospel of John. Last week, we, re- we read it in chapter 20. Verse 31, he says, I write these things so that you may believe Jesus is the Christ and that in believing you might have life. So do you see, the authors are very clear. Their goal is stated. They want you and me to hear what they're witnessing to and they want us to believe. They want us to see, yeah, Jesus is the Christ. If you have any doubt about it, listen, I saw it, I heard it, I was with him. Trust me on this one. You know, a witness in a courtroom scene can be massively influential. I saw this. And people believe that. He says, I saw these things. They both, both of these Johns, John the Baptist, John the Apostle, both of them want us to walk away being closer to believing. Is he the Christ? I think he's the Christ. Now, friends, John is unique. He's unique in the sense that he was a forerunner of the Messiah. But in some ways, John is a bit like a template for us, a template for all Christians, that as he was bearing witness to what he knew, so are we called to bear witness to what we know. Advent really is a season, if you will, of kind of speaking about these things of God. As as Ray was praying and we sing all these songs, it's all in the music that we sing. We're called to kind of bear, uh, bear a witness. Now, let me remind you, a witness, a witness is not an apologist in the sense that they have to know all the answers to all the difficult questions. A witness is not a theologian, has to unravel all the mysteries of the faith. No, a witness is simply a person telling the truth, testifying about this is who I understand Jesus to be, and this is how he's affected my life. That's all a witness does. A witness doesn't have to jump into speculation and fanciful thoughts, kind of the esoteric stuff that we love to talk about. No, just simple, plain, this is who Jesus is. This is what he's done. 
This is how he's changed my life. We're all called to do that. Do you, do you understand that God has chosen human instruments to deliver a divine and eternal message? One author said it this way. He says, the word and the life and the light are coming into the world. But they're not going to conquer the darkness the way a bolt of lightning brightens the sky. They're going to conquer it by lighting millions of cold, dead human torches with the oxygen of the gospel and the mysteriously spontaneous combustion of the new birth. In other words, God is going to declare now his glory through those whom he has saved. Those who he has given new life to. Those of us who call ourselves Christians because by faith we've believed that God has sent his son. That as he changes us, he's going to light us. And we begin to do just what John did, which is to bear witness. Now, let me make sure you understand, and I hope this is hopeful to you. Um, we're not the light. We're not the light. We're just bearing witness to it. There's a, a key word for those in ministry. I mean, I'm not a mediator between God and you. Uh, pastors aren't priests dispensing forgiveness to people. We're not the light. We're just declaring it. But not just pastors, parents. I mean, many of you parents are, are oftentimes unduly burdened that the salvation of your children rests upon what you do, what you say, that you've got to do it just perfect for them to get it. Uh, do not bear that burden. You're a witness. You are just declaring what you know. Uh, they will draw truth from the gospel in both your successes and your failures, by the way. Uh, so, so don't take that burden squarely. I see many parents struggling. They, they are so diligent to prevent anything evil or dark to to kind of impact their children negatively. And yet I've seen the grace of God work sometimes when the kids are exposed. They do see these things. But there you are to help them navigate, understand it within the context of a biblical worldview. So, so God can use both dark and light to achieve his purposes. So we are witnesses, but we're only witnesses to the light. So, so maybe there, there's a person that you've wanted to speak to about Christ. You love them. Uh, they're not really interested, but you want to do it. Ask a member of this church to pray for you. And, and, then, and then take this month and, and speak to them. Ask God for the grace. You know, just ask him, God, give me the opportunity to speak to this person. Uh, Jesus has come as the true light. And we are the ones called to declare it. But not just us personally. This church should be declaring the truth of Jesus coming as the light. Uh, we do this individually, but we do it corporately. We do it through the ministries of this church, like at RHP and other ministries that we're involved in. We're looking to declare the light. The way we love one another, the way we serve one another, that's also a representation of this new light that we have through faith in Christ. But also church planting. You know, it was probably less than 10 years ago that we planted a church up CCR. Uh, because planting, instead of swelling the church bigger and bigger and bigger, it's better to plant churches so that those churches begin to be gospel preaching centers, raising up new leaders, raising up new pastors. Tim Keller recently died, wrote these words. He said, the vigorous, continual planting of new congregations is the single most crucial strategy for the numerical growth of the body of Christ in a city and the continual corporate renewal and revival of existing churches in a city. Nothing else. Not crusades, not outreach programs, parachurch ministries, 
or growing megachurches will have the consistent impact on dynamic, extensive church planning. So we do it both individually, but we want to do it as a church. So this is John. He comes as the true witness. So how does God reveal himself to the world? Well, first he sends John, but then John gives witness to the true light. Look with me at verse 9. In verse 9 he says, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Now friends, I want to make sure you understand this. The true light. So John is saying Jesus is the final light, the glorious light, the real light. And he's coming into a world. Now in the gospel of John, the world isn't simply the kind of um, an abstract idea of all the universe. No, when you read world in the gospel of John, he's speaking about the created order, you and me and the events of human life. In particular, created order in opposition to God. So John sees the world as a place of darkness and blindness. And that's why the true light comes into this darkness. So the world in rebellion to God is pictured metaphorically in John's gospel as the world's in darkness. We're in opposition to God. We don't want God. The, the very creator of all, we don't want him. So, so here the true light, which has come to give light to everyone, has come into the world. But what light is he given? Well, I, I explained last week, the light that Jesus has come to bring is a disclosure of God. Now, remember this. There, were much, there was much light given in the Old Testament. Uh, creation, right? The heavens declare the glory of God. So creation does reveal God to us, his power and his majesty. Uh, you think about the law. The law gives us a picture of the character of God. You think about the prophecies and, and the mighty acts of God in the Old Testament. All those things are bearing light to a world about the character of God. But then Jesus comes and he's the, he's the true light. He's the final light. He's the real light. He's the glorious light. So Jesus is that final disclosure. So God has sent his son to come into our world. It's an invasion of light into darkness. The writer of Hebrews says it this way. He says, long ago at many times in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. He is appointed heir of all things through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the world of his power. Do you see what I'm saying here? Uh, I just read the, you have Jesus Christ has come upholding the world, dwelling with us in the flesh as light to a darkened people. You do see this in his ministry. I mean, think about when Jesus came, he began to preach he, he said, uh, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. I say to you, don't lust after a woman. Jesus is abrogating the law. Jesus is taking the divine word of God. And he's saying, let me interpret it for you. Let me give you new law. Jesus performs miracles. He raises the dead to life. He gives sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf, speech to the mute. 
He gives strength to the lame. He gives healing to the sick. He gives cleansing to the demonized. Jesus is creating all things new. He's coming to make all things new. He's showing us a world that he is coming to bring. He's showing us a kingdom that he will be king over. Jesus is giving us all the evidence. He's declaring to us the glory of God through his ministry. He has come as the light. When we see light and darkness in scripture, this isn't some form of dualism, like good versus evil, like you have in the Star Wars. This is God invading man with light in a dark place. I hope this explains a little more about why we celebrate Christmas. If you ask, why did Jesus come? I hope you know a little bit more now why he came. He came to bring light, to disclose God, uh, to, to redeem man. He didn't come to just clean things up and then get us back on our feet so we can finish out the race. He didn't come to kind of tweak things a little bit. He came to remake the whole place. He wants to make all things new. This is what we see in conversions of people. When people come to faith in Christ, what do you see their lives? They're changed. They begin to walk in the light. Not perfectly, not immediately, not at the same pace as others. But you begin to see that reformation in their souls being made more into the image of Christ. He is remaking. He wants to remake people. You see this in the promise given to us in Isaiah 9. Isaiah writes, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. You're thinking, well, what is this light? Well, just a few verses later, he says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Do you see? God had always intended to give his son the true light so that he could make all things new. He could reclaim a world that was made, that was perfect, that was lost due to our sin. He comes in, he bears sin so as to remake all things. This is a story of the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, it's about God's rescue plan for us to change us. It's just amazing to me. Friends, we've lived in darkness and now the true light has come. We know the darkness out there. You don't have to go across the world. You don't have to go across the pond. You don't have to go across the street. You know that the darkness has been part of your own life. You do what you don't want to do. You don't do that what you want to do. You've got regrets. You've got sadnesses. And yet he's come as the light to change you. Not to make you better, but to make you different. To make you new. To start the whole process over again. To take what was ruined and remake it. That's what he's come to do. He's come. How has God revealed his plan of salvation? By giving a true witness and giving a true light. But what do we do with that? What have you done with that? Because you notice in the second half of this passage, we see the revelation of God. He sends John. He sends Jesus. But now we see the response to this revelation. And we're overwhelmed, aren't we? Some reject them. I mean, we ought to be like shocked, right? Here's the creator of all things. And there are some who don't recognize them and don't receive them. It's like light comes in. You know, when light comes into a dark room, darkness doesn't hang around for a while. It separates everything. 
And you see that. Look with me at 11, at verses 10 and 11. He said, he was in the world and the world was made through him. And yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Now, friends, I know you've read this before, but we really almost need like a cold glass of water in our face here. We're talking about last week, he is the word through which all things were made. So we talked about, that means you and me, that means everything out there, everything has an imprint of Christ on it. So you are made by him. That means you're owned by him. So the gifts you have, the talents you have, the strengths you have, the opportunities you have, they have been given to you. But where you were born, how long you'll live, he determines that. He's made all things. Everything was made for him and through him. That includes us. So when he comes to his creation and we don't recognize him, it's supposed to be like, you got to be kidding me. It's like a mother coming home to a child and the child doesn't recognize him. It's to startle us. You know, you see it in the arrogance of man that we can, you know, we have to explain what we're doing here. I mean, have you ever asked yourself that question? Why am I here? How did I get here? How did this world get here? How did I know to even ask these questions? And what do you come up with? A lot of people want to say, well, it's just blind and personal forces. You know, that's how we got here. Do you notice how with one stroke of a pen, we can just write God out of history? The very one who created us, we don't even recognize him. We live in his land. You know what we are? We're like a bunch of squatters. You know, squatters are becoming a serious problem. You know, they take over a house that's unoccupied or a renter doesn't pay rent and you can't get them out. They don't own it. Uh, They're not paying for it, but they're just using it. That's what we're like. He comes to those who he created and we don't even recognize them. It's really meant to just shock us. But not just that. Those, he came to his own. In Greek, it's like he came to his own home and his kin didn't recognize him. He came to Israel. That's what he's speaking about here. Uh, That Jesus was from Jewish descent, born of Abraham, born of David, and he comes to his own people. They don't receive him. They don't welcome him. They don't want to have anything to do with him. They reject him. I mean, can you imagine? It's like this dear mother nurses a child, protects a child, promotes a child, you know, provides for a child. And then the child grows up and has nothing to do with the mother. And we'd be like, what kind of child is that? Has nothing to do with the mother. They didn't receive him. They rejected him. We're supposed to be, does this shock you? I mean, Does it make you wonder, like, why didn't they see him? They rejected him. But, you know, the rejection that Jesus faced is the same rejection that we do today, isn't it? I I mean, rejection can fall along a lot of lines. Number one, we reject him out of arrogance, right? Arrogance is just, I don't want to be governed. I mean, I don't want a sovereign. I want to be autonomous. I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. I mean, it's the famous line from, from Milton. Hey, better to reign in hell than serve in heaven. I mean, we, we want to reign. We want to rule. We don't want to be beholden to another, even a generous kind. We, we don't want it. There's an arrogance, that kind of a, a defiant rejection. But, but they're not all that way. You know, many people reject them differently. Uh, some do it just by distractedness. 
I, I mean, they're just busy in life. You know, they are created. They're given days and talents. All of us are derivative. We've all derived what we have. It doesn't mean we haven't, we haven't taken and built upon it, but we've even done that with the strength he's given us. So people are distracted. They're living their lives. They're raising their kids. You have neighbors this way across the street. They're busy. I mean, they're raising kids. They're doing jobs. They're fixing their house. And day after day after day after day proceeds year after year after year, decade after decade. And they live their life with this benign rejection. The creator, the one giving them breath, is not even on the radar. That's not a high-handed defiance against God, but it is a rejection. Or, or maybe disappointment. Some of us reject Jesus Christ because we're disappointed in him. He just hasn't done what we thought he should have done. He hasn't answered the prayer. He hasn't healed the person that's been sick. He just hasn't given to us what we need. And so we kind of back away from him. Well, if that's the way he's going to be, and you get on, you get on, or, or here's, here's a dangerous one. I call it a religious rejection. A religious rejection. This is what you see in the Gospels. Who rejects Jesus most vehemently? It's the religious people, right? I, I mean, the, the, the tax collectors and the prostitutes, they're not doing it. it it's, the, it's the priests. It's the Levites. It's the Sanhedrin, right? It's the Pharisees. It's the religious people. And why in the world would they reject them? Well, what? Because they, they got their own thing working. I mean, they know what they need to do to make God happy with them. And so they, they in, in their religious self-comfort and self-righteousness, they don't They can't be as bad as needing someone to actually hang on a tree to save them. They just need a little help to get forward. And with these rules that we have, we can do these and we're good to go. Does this scare you that the most, those who rejected Christ the most were religious? I mean, does that not cause you to think, am I he? Am I she? Religious rejection is so hard to discern. If it might be, it might be you know good to take some time uh, this week even and grab a member of this church, a, a friend, and, and talk to them and, and ask them, "What do you see in me?" Do you see there to be a resting on the things that I do for God rather than on this Savior? Do you see me living my life as if I really am at the wheel driving the bus of my life? Do you see a growing dependence, humility in me? Open yourselves up to that. Utilize a brother or sister to speak into your life. I don't want to be at the end. Fooled by my own delusion, thinking that I've had it all. Religious rejection is a reality that we have to deal with. It is not ugly. It can look very pious and and self-righteous. It can look very, very pretty. But it's a rejection on the same. And we have examples of it. So friends, you, you see that some reject it. Now, notice in the text that not all reject it, right? Some did receive. Look with me, if you will, at 12 and 13, he says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. This is really an incredible passage here, uh, that there were some that did receive him. 
that some believe. Now, listen, if you were raised in the 70s or 80s, we generally saw this receiving or welcoming as kind of an accepting Jesus. He's there at your heart. He's knocking on the door, and you just got to let him in. It's a very passive event. You just kind of open the door and let him come in, and, and, and you accept him in your heart, and we're good to go. And I I understand the sentiment of that expression. I think what we're trying to say is, well, we want him to be the Lord in our lives, and so we're inviting him in. And I agree with, with that picture and everything. I just want you to know that the word receive is a lot more forceful. It means to take a hold of or to grab a hold of. Accepting, even acknowledging, is kind of a passive thing. This is a more active thing. That when he says receive, those who received him, you're laying hold of him, right? You're laying a hold of him like he's the only thing that's firm and the ground's giving way for you. You lay hold of him. And, and receiving him is explained by believing in his name. To believe in his name means that you are believing in his mission and mandate. You're trusting in his work for your life. So you don't need to work anymore to be reconciled to God. You just need to work at thanking God and enjoying God and living in the light of all that he has done for you, as opposed to you adding to his work. So to believe and to receive is much more total. It's much more comprehensive. It, it, it's, it's saying yes to the kingship of Christ in my life. Yes, I want to follow him. And, and, and as Christ begins to make us new, as we're going to see, then our marriages begin to look different. The way we handle our finances begin to look different. The way we handle our time, the way we handle workplace conflict, they all begin to change because you're more concerned with following this King Jesus than you are with making your own way in your own kingdom. So this is what it means when he says, those who received and believed in his name. That's how we enter the household of faith. You know, just as you have to go through natural birth, physical birth to enter a human family, so you have to go through a spiritual birth to become part of God's family. But notice what he says here, and the words are so important. He says he gave the right to become children of God. What does that mean? It means you're, you weren't one before. It's not that we're all God's children. So Santa says, you know, as Daniel reminded me, that we're, Santa knows you're all God's children. No, Santa got it all wrong. We weren't all God's children. No, we were actually we're children of darkness. That's why we have to become children of God. Do you notice that? So the world are not children of God. They're at enmity with God. That's you and me before we came to Christ. That may be you here if you haven't come to Christ. You don't feel at enmity with God. But you have lived as a created being all the while without any regard or any appreciation or any gratitude for him. That would put you at enmity. So you become children of God. And notice it says that he gave the right. That word right means authority. You have the right to become a child of God. You are a child. There's certainty. There's, there's definiteness. But it's Jesus who gave the right. So Jesus is the one who is going to reconcile us to the Father. He has the ability and the authority to give us the right to become children of God. But I don't want you thinking this, this becoming a child is anything natural. You, you see what he says. He negates it three times. He says, not by blood. There is no way to become a child of God through human descent. Now, you know, the Jewish people thought this. I'm a child of Abraham. Paul spins that on his head in Galatians 7, where he says, no, the children of Abraham are by faith. They're not by physical descent. It's not by blood. Those of us who have some blue blood in the veins, that's not the way to become a child of God. 
There is no human descent. Not only that, but, but human effort. Notice he says, nor by the will of the flesh. That word will of the flesh kind of speaks to self-determination, human potential. There's no way that we can decide, I'm going to become a child of God. You may be drawn to want to become a child of God, but you don't have the inherent ability to do that. You can be drawn to it, but you can't do it. Or notice what he says, nor the will of man. Nobody can become a child of God because of a parental decision or a husband's will. There's no human design that we're going to fashion it that they're going to become a child of God. So then your question has to be is, well, we're in trouble. All right? I, I mean, if, if I can't do it by blood, if I can't do it by effort, if I can't do it by design, how do you become a child of God? And just the last two words help us. Of God. Born of God. God has to give us new life. Why is that? Well, because what he's doing in us is not a moral reformation project. He is changing us. He takes out a heart of stone. He makes us new. What I want you to see is when Jesus came and he said, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the gospel. What he did was he, he took the new age, the new kingdom, he took the new heavens and new earth, and he starts it now in this dark age. So now we're part of what we call this, the eschaton. We're actually part of that, that new age right now. He makes us new. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. God himself gives us a new mode of existence. Only God can make us partakers of his divine nature. Only God can change us. And that's what it means to be born of God. So if you're here and you believe that Jesus is the true light, you've been born of God. Your belief didn't give new birth. No, his new birth gave life to faith. I say this out of 1 John 5, 1. He says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. So notice the present and the past. Everyone who believes, they're believing, they have been born. They've already been born. John Stott, in his um, book in First John, he says, the combination of present tense and perfect tense is important. It shows clearly that believing is the consequence, not the cause of the new birth. Our present continuing activity of believing is the result and the evidence of a past experience of new birth by which we became and remain God's children. This is really significant. So, so what I'm saying to you is that we cannot be born again apart from the power of God changing us. So, so let me ask you to consider who Jesus is. Who do you understand him to be? Do you understand him to be the creator? Do you understand him to have lordship over all of life in this world? Every jot and tittle Every bird that flies, they all have stamped with the image of Christ on it because he's the creator. Do you see that? Do you see him as the true light that has come to save? Or do you not see him as true light? It's interesting about light. A.W. Pink, a theologian of the previous century, he said this. He says, when the sun is shining in all its beauty, who are the ones who are unconscious of the fact? Who need to be told it's shining? It's the blind. How tragic then when we read that God sent John to bear witness of the light 
How pathetic that there should be any need for this. How solemn this statement that men hope that men have to be told the light is now in their midst. What a revelation of man's fallen condition. Folks, if you're here, you've heard me prattle on about this Jesus, and you don't see him as the true light, the creator of all things, the one sustaining your life right now, who has come to save, it would indicate that your condition is one of blindness or you're living in darkness. You must be born again. You must cry out to appeal to God. You can't do it. You got to appeal to him. And if you feel that sense to appeal, you know God's already at work in you. I mean, that ought to give you the confidence. And if you have no care, and if you have no concern, and if you sit there and nothing's going to change when you walk out the doors, blind as a bat. Blind, spiritually blind. You may be intelligent, good-looking, successful in life, a wonderful person to have a neighbor, have as a neighbor, but that doesn't mean you see the truth of Jesus as the light. But if you're here as a Christian, at a minimum, we are, aren't we the most humble people? And we cannot save ourselves. We should be. I think that was a joke on sideways, wasn't it? <laughs> you know, a lot of times, it usually for my sake, it goes the other way. I drop, a egg, I lay an egg and... Uh, no. So shouldn't we be the most humble? If I've just told you, you cannot open your eyes to see the light of Christ, but you do see the light of Christ. Now, doesn't that make us grateful and humble people? I mean, doesn't it cause us to be more patient with those who maybe don't believe like you? Maybe we can be a little bit more patient with them. We can be a little bit more long-suffering. We can be a little bit more attentive to kind of try to display the glory of God in our lives. Doesn't it make us happy? I mean, think about the privileges of being a child of God. Forgiveness, reconciliation, adoption, a relationship with God that is now rooted in Christ, who is fully acceptable to God. So even when you have a bad day next week, Christ has not, and you are relating to him through Christ. And so as long as he remains perfect, you are in good stead with God. So this is what makes the season so happy. It's not the stuff that you'll open and throw away in a year. No, it's the reality that God has brought forth a son, the true light. And he's given this light to all. And you see it. And so that is what makes this season so glorious. So friends, let's take a moment and just ask, for those of you who are here with friends or family, just consider these things. Consider what it means to see Jesus as a true light. And for those who are, who are here and you have faith, then let's just worship him. Express our gratitude for all that he's done. And then I'll pray for us in just a moment. Father, overwhelm us with this light of Christ who has come to make all things new. Lord, we want to be made new. We want to grow incrementally. 
glory to glory, being changed into the very image of the one who has died for us. Father, for the Christian here, would you fill them with gratitude? Would you fill them with grace to understand the incredible? We have been born of God. We have been made new. The work that you started, you'll surely complete. All the way until the day of Christ Jesus. Even death itself will be transformed into something that brings us even closer to bear that image of Christ. And Father, I ask for mercy. I ask for those who are here under perhaps religious rejection or, or just more defiant and, or, or just maybe uncertain. Maybe they just are confused. And Father, would you give grace? Your kindness knows no measure. Would you give grace to open their eyes that they would move from blindness to, blindness to sight? They would move from darkness to light. And Father, that you would move them to tell someone in this church that they've done that. Give them the strength to appeal to you for this mercy. Father, we, we want to see new life birthed in this church. So we pray for this in the name of Jesus himself. Amen.